you know, the gifts I got and, and what I got to do and who I got to meet and the experience I had, it's uh, other than my wife and kids, it's probably the coolest thing I've ever done, man. <laughs> Welcome to the Creative Chats Podcast with Mike Brennan. Welcome, friends, to another episode of Creative Chats. It's the podcast for artist makers and content creators where we talk about creativity, the creative process, and story. I'm your host, Mike Brennan. You can connect with me over on Instagram, I'm at MikeBone, or on my website, which is MikeBrennan.me. I'd also love to extend the opportunity for you to join our free Facebook group called Daily Creative Habit. It's simply a group of creative people who are raising their hand to say, I want to show up more consistently for my creativity and my craft. So if that's you, if you've been kind of floundering or maybe flirting with your art and creativity for a little while, you've been looking for a way to make sure that you make time for it and to prioritize for it, well, then I want to invite you to join this group. Simply go to dailycreativehabit.com and it'll bring you right to the request page to join our group. I look forward to seeing you there. So joining me for this week's episode is a new friend, Jeb Wright. Now, Jeb Wright is the founder and creator of a website called Classic Rock Revisited. And uh, he did this way back in 1998. And it became one of the most popular classic rock uh, sites on the internet. I mean, this story is really inspiring. If you're somebody who you have this passion, you want to follow it, but you're really not sure, like, what is this going to look like? How do I do this? Am I crazy? Uh, You're going to resonate with Jeb's story because he started out and he didn't know how to do this. He didn't know how to put a blog together and on this blog on this website there's actually thousands yes I said thousands thousands of interviews that he conducted with uh, classic rock bands and artists like Ted Nugent Def Leppard Judas Priest Uh, I mean the, the the list goes on and on and on and even if you're not a fan of classic rock I know that you're gonna hear things in Jeb's story that will inspire you and encourage you because his story is a story of just a guy following his dream, trying to figure it out as he went. And it led him to some amazing opportunities and amazing relationships. And really at the end of the day, that's the thing that is so encouraging. So I decided I'm going to make this actually into two episodes because our conversation ran a little bit long, uh, but it was awesome. And I think there's a lot of great stuff in there because the front half, we talk about uh, what his journey looked like in in launching this website and doing these interviews. And then later on, we talk a little bit more about what's coming next and how he's pursuing writing and becoming an author. And so I know, again, that there are some some great insights that you're going to pick up from his journey. And, you know, this is one of those conversations where you can just tell it's like two guys, man, if we were in a coffee shop, it's two guys sitting over coffee, just having a chat, sharing life experiences, swapping stories. And um, again, I love doing this because I get to bring these stories and introduce you to some new people uh, via this podcast. So without further ado, enjoy my creative chat with Jeb Wright, part one. 
Well, Jeb Wright, welcome to the Creative Chats show. I'm excited to talk to you today. Thanks for coming. Hey, thank you for having me, Mike. It's really a pleasure to be here and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so um, we were introduced by Amy Hayde, who was also on the show a bunch of episodes back, a visual artist friend of mine. And she told me about you and about uh, just some interesting stories that you've been involved with. And um, we're going to get into a little bit of that, unpack that, and just also what you're up to now and today. And uh, I'm looking forward to just how this might encourage the listeners today to really lean into those things that are their passions and uh, just see where they go, right? Because um, I think that's when everybody wins, when we show up and we're like curious and we're passionate and um, even if we don't really know what's going to happen, right? <laughs> that is true, man. Yeah. So before we get too far, why don't you give us a little snapshot of like, who are you? What do you do? Well, one of the the, the things I think that, that we'll want to talk about is is the business I had, which was Classic Rock Revisited. And uh, that was ClassicRockRevisited.com. It's still there. I can't get rid of it, but I did retire from it. Uh, I started it in 1998 uh, on August 1st, and I did it because I was uh, irritated that all of, I mean, I, I'm a guitar player, so everybody that I liked wasn't being covered in the guitar magazines anymore. They, I'm more of a, cla obviously, classic rock guy, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, uh, they, they just were disappearing and grunge was in and there's just, you know, I don't want to read an article about a guy that that's not as good as me. I like reading about guys that I that inspire me, you know, and my, it was my wife that said one day it was in 1998. And she was like, you ought to try one of those website things and, and, <laughs> and just do something yourself. And she is not a uh, hard rocking music fan like me I mean, at all. We're kind of an opposite track, but I thought, well, I'll look into that. Let's see what it is. And, and the thing, Mike, that, that, that I, people sometimes snicker at, or sometimes are interested at is I started this in a town called Arkansas city. It's spelled like Arkansas, but we pronounce it Arkansas, which is how it's spelled. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, Arkansas city, Kansas population, 10,000, uh, with no, no journalistic background, no, never interviewed anybody didn't know what I was doing. And I just thought, it's 1998. We got this thing called the internet. Let's see what I can do. And I thought, how am I even going to try? Hmm. You know, it was the first thing, how am I even going to try? So, uh, you know, you have to remember 98, the internet was there, but it isn't like it is now. Oh, yeah. Google isn't like it is now. It was still, it wasn't as instant. Yeah. It was new. It actually new to me. And uh, I went to a record store they're called Hastings, they're records and books. And I went over to the new releases and there's a guy, you ever heard of Eddie Money? Yeah. You remember Eddie Money to take his sure. He had a new record out, a new CD. So I thought, I looked on the back and it had the name of his record company. So I thought, eh, there's a start. <laughs> <And> <laughs> so I took it home, unwrapped it and it didn't have the number. It just had, the, it was CMC International as the label and it had the, uh, the address. So I had to, look it up and and find their number and i did and i called and i asked for the publicity department and they connected me to a woman named laura kaufman and uh she's like uh, she had she had a thick new york accent you know she yeah uh, we became really good friends but you know she didn't know who i was from adam and i just said okay here i here's what i want to try and i just told her and she said you go get a web designer, whatever, make a website and call me back. 
she, she kind of, she said, I kind of like you got guts just to call me up. You know? <laughs> and, uh, within, within a few weeks, I mean, I was already kind of working on it, but it was ready to go live and it wasn't anything fancy. It's still pretty basic. The whole 20 years I did it, we didn't have a lot of bells and whistles. It was my, my goal was to make it like an old time rock magazine, but online and, uh, uh, interviews, concert reviews, that kind of stuff. So I called her back. And she said, oh, my God, you called me back. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, she said, I want to try you out with a few reviews. I want to send you some CDs. You review them. You post them on there and then email me the link. So I said, OK. And so I literally hung up the phone, Mike. And this is, it was funny because I remember it like yesterday. When a few days later, when I got the mail and I got a package, of like 10 CDs that I would have bought, <laughs> I would have paid my money for. And I looked at them. And I thought, it doesn't get any better than this, man. I get free music and I get, all I have to do is write about it. I'm like, I could do this. And so I did. And uh, she got back a hold of me and she said, what do you think of an interview? I was like, well, I could try that. <laughs> and uh, I said, you know, who with? And uh, she said, I've got Roger Earl of Foghat doing press for a new tour. They're getting ready to go on. And this would have been 98. And I was like, I love Fog Out Live. I had that record, Slow Ride and Fool for the City and all those classic songs. I'm like, sure. Now, the thing I'm not telling you is I had no way to record an interview. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> uh, because I was a musician, I had microphones and I had a four track that I played my stuff, you know, just write stuff and stuff. So I got my four track. I, I got my microphones and I, I kind of made the, you know, the boom up there. I had it hanging down over the speakerphone. I'm kneeling down in my bedroom, my wife and I's bedroom on the floor. And, and the phone call comes, they were all phoners back then, you know, and, and I do my best to, to play it off, you know, that I really know what I'm doing. He ends up being a sweetheart of a guy. We have a great interview and uh, I type it up. And then the next one came and she said, how about Ted Nugent? And I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm a guitar, I'm a rock and roll guitar player. I was like, yeah, yeah. And this was a little before he was as political as he is now and stuff. He was just pretty much the wild, you know, the wild wearing the loin cough and, and swinging on stage and stuff. But I, I was a big fan and I liked his music and, and that was the second one. And I won't bore you with every detail there, but again, I was weighing it. The funny thing about the nude story is my speakerphone broke 20 minutes before the interview. I couldn't get it to work. <laughs> So I'm panicking now and I'm going, what am I going to do? And my wife, again, who, who likes things like Conway Twitty, <laughs> <laughs> comes to my rescue and she's going down the neighborhood door to door. Do you have a speakerphone I can borrow? Do you have a speakerphone I can borrow? And she finds one. Uh, it was an older couple that lived next door and, and uh, she, they unplugged their phone and she brought it up. We plugged it in right as the call came in and we were able to do the interview. And so I started literally that grassroots. And I think the thing even then, was that, that people liked and I know the artists liked was I didn't I'm kind of doing what you do I didn't have a stack full of notes and I knew the music and and I also was tired of I mean I enjoy a good sex drugs and rock and roll story as much I mean you know that if they want to talk about that's fine but I wanted to talk about what makes them musicians and what makes them passionate about music and, and I knew their music you know their new music their old music I just knew it and and there were so many times I remember interviewing Paul Rogers, a bad company once their vocalist. And uh, we were like 10 minutes into it and he's just opening up, telling me all this stuff. And he, he's British. And he finally goes, he goes, when are we going to start the interview? And I was like, well, we already have. Paul. And he's <laughs> like, he goes, I've been telling you things I shouldn't. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> but it was a very conversation style that I had. And I think I, I mean, I did appeal to the fans. It wasn't a corporate gig. It wasn't a snobby thing. Cause at that time there was even a lot of things like where they'd get journalists interview old, older rockers and stuff. And it was almost rude. Some of the interviews, it was dinosaurs of rock and things like that. And I brought the opposite. I was like, this is the music I love. This is what I want to talk about. Mm. So that's really where it started in little old Kansas. And yeah. I'd usually say I was from Wichita because I knew they, I say Arch City, Kansas. They'd be like, where? You know, and I just say, you know, Wichita. And uh, not that it's a huge metropolis, but it's a lot bigger than Arch City, Kansas. Yeah. Yeah. And I just started that grassroots. And back then, you know, you traded links with things. So when Ted would, I'd put his interview up, I'd get a hold of his webmaster and they'd link me over to, to his site. And then we'd get a whole bunch of Ted Nugent guys. And when I do journey, it'd be the same thing. And, and I just built a grassroots following and, uh, and kept it up for 20 years. I did get to the point where it never was a full-time gig because I've had a wife and kids needed insurance and retirement sure. and all that, but it was a 20 year, uh, uh, career i mean i probably my boss would want us i probably worked harder at it than i did my job <laughs> uh, because you know we did sell ads eventually uh, we got up to ten thousand people a day pretty quick and uh, you know over a million people or all the countries around were reading classic rock revisited and and uh, it just grew organically so that's a real long-winded answer of where it came from but it it just came out of my wife's idea uh, she didn't know what she was getting herself into uh, and the fact that I have a love and a passion for, for the guitar and for this kind of music. And I found out that I was a pretty good interviewer and a pretty good writer that yeah. grew through time. I, yeah. I had a lot of, I had to learn what I was doing, but I had the seeds, you know? Yeah. And uh, Well, I, I love that because as you're unfolding this for us, there's a couple of things I want to highlight. Sure. One, one is that somebody listening right now, they may be, they may have a goal. They may be thinking to themselves, I really want to do this thing, but I don't know how. I don't, I don't really, I can't wrap my head around it. I don't have resources. Um, I don't know what's proper. I don't have the training. Whatever the excuse is that they're telling themselves, they're saying to themselves right now, I want to do this, but I don't think I can. Mm -hmm. What I'm hearing from your story is you just showed up and just did the right next step. And there were moments where like, you know, you had favor and you had opportunity, but it's because you showed up. It's because you did probably something that a lot of people don't do, even from the first moment when you said you looked on the back of the, the record or whatever to, to see the address, to try to reach out and contact somebody. You were doing some research and said, what do I have to lose, right? That was it. What do I have to lose? Yeah. And then yeah. Yet, because you did that, the person on the other end said, wow, that took guts. All right. We're going to, we're going to test the waters here a little bit. And then you showed up again and you did what she asked you to do. And it grew from there because you showed that you were serious about it and that you were going to figure it out. And maybe it wasn't like quote the right way or the technical way or whatever, even in, as you're describing, you know, some of the, the setup for the, the you know, recordings and stuff, but you, you found a way. And I'm sure that you adjusted over time and you figured some things out of like, oh, I shouldn't do this next time or I need to do more of that next time. Just like anything else in life that we do, we we get some experience, we get some insights and we course correct, we adjust and we continue to grow in that. So I love that it was you showing up, following your passion and the response came because you were the fan 
who was interviewing the people and it resonated with the fans as well as the musicians and the bands um, because it was a place of authenticity for you, I'm sure. Not you were handed a list of questions to ask somebody that they get asked you know, a million times. And yeah. They were people, right? They were people that you were curious about and interested in. So um, I just wanted to, to make sure that I highlighted that so far as you've talked about this, because I think those are things that regardless of like, even though it's 20 years later, those are things that are still in play today. Um, the the steps that you took, the I think the, the openness and the approach can still be applied. And if you want to call it grassroots, if you want to call it, you know, whatever, um, you were doing things that whether you knew it or not, transfer through that time space and through whatever even creativity, um, you know, whatever creative expression it is that someone may want to engage with today, they can learn from your story. So I love that. Well, thank you. And it did grow over the years. And that was the cool thing about it. You know, I, there's a record collector magazine that's been around 40 years or more, I think probably 50 years called Goldmine. And I'm not a record collector, so I really didn't know any, much about it. But they ended up having an editor that read it, and I ended up doing 16 cover stories for them. Nice. I wrote uh, some articles in the UK for Classic Rock Magazine. I ended up doing, I've done CD booklets for everyone from Kansas to Alice Cooper to Jay Giles Band to Quiet Riot. I mean, just a bunch of them, you know. I never sought those out. Those were gifts. You know, mm. those were things that just through connections and and you get an offer, you know, we got to go end up covering all of the uh, the VH1 rock honors in New York City and in Los Angeles. So, you know, I, I got to go coast to coast to go do this rock stuff, you know. And uh, I was uh, for several years the uh, big screen guy up at this place called uh, the Moondance Jam in Minnesota. It's a little sleepy town in northern Minnesota, Walker, Minnesota, that goes from like 3,000 people to 30,000 people for a week because they have this big concert. And uh, a guy that liked the website was the backstage director and, and artist director and all that stuff. And he was like, he, he came to a show in Kansas. He did a show here. He had a band, you know, and they played here on this bill. And he said, uh, we were sitting at the hotel bar actually. And he said, are you Jed, the classic rock guy? Because I had my t-shirt on, you know, that said it. I was like, yeah. And he told me who he was. And then he's like, I need somebody to come up here and do all of the pre-band interviews for the big screen, outdoor screen. Uh, and I want you to do it. And, he, and, and it was a free gig, but it was all pay. He's like, I'll get you here. We'll put you up. We'll, no, all expenses. He's like, I ain't gonna pay you nothing. You know? <laughs> but, but if, but if, you know, if you want a great three day weekend of fun and I ended up doing that for years, you know, so, so much happened for it. There's something I can say, the only negative I had was probably I was hard on myself. Um, I always wanted to be a little bigger. I'd get jealous when another person would get the interview. I didn't get, you know. And of course, I always dreamed, you know, I always wished I could have crossed over and just done this full time, you know. Uh, and those never happens. But I did beat myself up a little on those things, you know. But the other side of it is, I mean, you know, the gifts I got and, and what I got to do and who I got to meet and the experience I had, it's uh, other than my wife and kids, it's probably the coolest thing I've ever done. Man. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious, this comes up with other podcast hosts from time to time where they may be interested in having somebody on their show and they're thinking to themselves, I don't even know how to go about accessing that person. 
Like, I don't know if they would even bother with being on my show because who am I? And they, you know, it's the status oh, thing, yeah. that, right? So what advice might you have for gaining access and trust with somebody who seems like they're out of reach? Well, there, and there were people out of reach. I mean, you know, Led Zeppelin doesn't need the internet, you know? I mean, I never got to interview my favorite band, you know, but, uh, uh, and there were Pink Floyd doesn't need classic rock revisited, you know? So, so there were times I couldn't get to him. I think if I could have been in a situation, they'd have probably let me interview him, but I just could never cross that, that, that bridge. Um, but what worked for me was, and, and, and I don't know if in the podcast world or the, the creative realms that you're doing, if it's the same, but with music, uh, for lack of a better word, it's kind of incestuous <laughs> in that everybody knows everybody. So I would have a publicist that I was working with that might represent two or three hair metal bands from the 80s that kind of turned my stomach. You know? <laughs> but they might also represent a couple bands that I really dug. And so I would offer to interview those hair metal bands. And I would network my rear end off with that publicist. And I would make sure those interviews were good and they were publicized and they were perfect. And they, I would just work, work, work. And like one of them, it was a true story was that I, I had to interview. Do you remember that hair band Nelson? It was Ricky oh, yeah. Nelson's kids. Yeah. I was not a Nelson fan. <laughs> a long blonde hair, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, but the guy also represented, and I'm, I'm kind of a headbanger, but he also represented Judas Priest who, Rob Halford's one of my heroes, you know? Yeah. So I was like, okay, we're going to give, we're going to do it. We're going to have this Nelson interview. And he ended up, I'll have to tell you, it was Ricky Nelson's son. He ended up being a really interesting guy. It was a great chat. Uh, at the end of it, I was honest with him though, too. I said, I said, I have to be honest with you. I'm, I didn't really listen to your album. He laughed. He goes, you're a guy. He goes, you know, <laughs> you did. We know that, you know? And then at the end of it, he said, do you think I've made a fan of you? And I said, no, no, I don't think we had a good laugh, you know. Uh, but, but I mean, it really ended up being something really great. But I didn't start with then even getting robbed. It was like the bass player of Priest, you know, and then it was, uh, you know, the drummer of Priest. And it took literally two years. And then it was like, hey, Priest has a new album and, and we can get you robbed. And I did a ton of that type of stuff. It was it was a lot of interviews that I didn't want to do. And that's some of the work you were talking about that people don't understand. Yeah. You have to really be flexible. And then you can't just do it and let it sit on the shelf. You have to get it going. This is time-sensitive material. Being that my kids were little then, and, and uh, I really would wake up on weekends about 5.30 to 6 in the morning and come to my room that I'm in right now. And I would start transcribing interviews. And I would type, type, type. And I would do... CD reviews, you know, until noon. And then the afternoon, you know, it was their time. And then in the evenings after they went to bed, that's when I could get on the phone. I had a hard time with that one with the date gig was getting some of the guys to do interviews at night, you know. And uh, but it was just pure relentlessness of me, not not overbearing, actually the opposite, polite. It hmm. was, hey, what can I do to help you? You know, what can I, who do you have on your artist that fits my site? You know, we'll we'll do it. And it was literally growing. But after you get about 15 or 20 of those. They all represent somebody at some point. And then I had, uh, just like with Laura Kaufman, she said, I've got a friend named Carol Kay I worked with back in the 80s. And she's she's a head of Chaos Productions. And she does Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. You know, would you be interested in them? I could hook you up with them. And it was network, network, network. And then your results on top of it. 
Yeah. But that's my advice is don't think you're going to walk in. Now, if you do get to walk in and, and have the interview of your dreams, that's awesome. Because I did get Uncle Ted early on, who was I was a fan of as a teenager, you know. But I mean, you know, it, the Aerosmiths and the uh, guys of that nature, you know, one of the guys of the Stones I did an interview, those didn't come right away. You know, I had to I had to build my own reputation. So I think it's networking. Mm, and yeah. as you can tell, I do answer with a lot of words. So bear with me that I, I do like to talk. Sometimes I had to fight myself in interviews not to talk too much. You know? <laughs> sure, sure. No, but that's good. I mean, I think it again, it's it's personal, right? It's mm-hmm. um it's it's a conversation. It's not this this stilted kind of you know structured thing where you're you have a punch list. Um the, the thing that I love too is that you you identified who like the the gatekeepers were, right? Um that's that's a term today that's thrown around a lot, especially because people are trying to find ways around the gatekeepers because they're sure. like, look, I want access to somebody or something. Those are the gatekeepers. I They're saying I have to play by their rules. Well, with the internet and accessibility being what it is today, a lot of times there are other ways around. But I think there's still something where you almost need to find like a, you know, it's like the six degrees of, of Kevin Bacon, right? Like who mm-hmm. is that person that... Maybe I can't get to that person because they're too big and they're too guarded. Um, yep. But who do I know that knows that person? Um, and how can I show <laughs> and serve and show, like you said before, you were, you were interested in not just the things that were like, you know, cherry picking like the, oh, these are the good ones that I really, really want and everybody else forget it. But you were willing to show up and go, you know what, I'm going to do a good job, even on the stuff that maybe really isn't that interesting to me because I want to show that. I can do it. I want to show that I want to be helpful. And then you build trust with people. And when you build trust with those people who are the gatekeepers or who are close to the people that you want to get to and, you know, have access to, um, I think that's when some of those opportunities maybe start to come a little bit more. At least that's what I've started started to see even in my own limited run of the podcast so far and even talking with some other folks. Would you Would you say it's a fair assessment? I think it's perfect. Yeah. And I, I used the other networking other than the gatekeepers when at times, but I really tried to always go through it. I don't, I just wanted to, because those were the relationships I wanted to build, but yeah, you know, and also I think there's some integrity with me, you know, that I was like, you know, I don't want to know the sound guy who tells me that this, you know, knows this guy. I want the, I, I want the publicist, even, even like tickets to review shows it was like i don't want to talk to the local promoter i want the record company on their list you know yeah <laughs> and, and it 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 worked for me but it was it was a lot of work and also you can't have actually you have you don't have fear you have trepidation maybe but you can't have fear but you have trepidation because it is I mean, inside, I felt like an idiot calling that lady in New York and saying, my name's Jeb. I live in Kansas. You know, I want to talk to rock stars. I mean, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I, I was thinking, what am I doing? And then, uh, you know, you got to yes. Coincidentally, and this is just a side note. The first person I interviewed was Roger of, of Foghat. And the last person I interviewed 20 years later was Roger Earl of Foghat. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and it was kind of by design because over the years we've become ex- very good friends and I got to go on the road with him for a week and, and uh, I, I kind of just floated the idea by him and he liked it. So that's, that's, I started and ended at the same spot. Yeah. But yeah, I think you're exactly right, man. I don't think people have, and, and this is not meant to sound like you or myself in any way to be, I'm not being arrogant. I'm not trying to uh, toot my own horn or anything. 
but you got to work your rear end off. <laughs> I mean, and a lot of people don't realize that because I'd have people, you know, all the time email me, oh, I want to do this and I want to do that. And I'm like, I know what you think you're wanting, <laughs> but here's what you actually have to do, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and it is because as you know, I mean, you're your own, I'm my, I was my own publicist, my own promoter, my own salesman, my own web designer, my own, I was my own everything. I set the interview times. I, I scheduled everything. It was, I got to the point where I was able to actually even pay some guys to write and stuff. But, but, uh, that process, I, I, that was, you know, some people just wanted to have the fun. You really had to work it out, but I got a few good ones and we had a team of three or four for about five years in the early two thousands when classic rock was making its big comeback. And, uh, those are the glory days. I mean, those were, that's when it was fun, but it is my wife loves me and is very much a homebody and a quiet person that didn't demand a lot of me. (laughs) She understood that this was my passion. So, I mean, I have to give her credit too, because a lot of relationships, people would probably got jealous or whatever. And uh, and she never did. She understood the whole time. Even when I'd say, Hey, I got, I got a press tickets and I'm flying to Los Angeles for a taping of VH1 rock honors with the who. And she'd be like, Oh, I'm so happy for you. I'd be like, (laughs) what's wrong with you? You should not be happy for me. But, but that, that helped. I mean, it wasn't just me. It was a, a family affair, but uh, I got to do things, Mike, that I still can't believe. Two years later, I still can't believe I got to do. It was it was humbling. It was beautiful. There were times I probably got a little arrogant and egotistical with it, uh, but not all the time, and especially not now. And to this day, here's one of the things I'm proudest of. Now, we had a little break for a year with the pandemic, but over for the first, the first 13 months or so after I left, I still have not paid for a rock concert. I still have tickets waiting for me. And that to me, it's the biggest compliment, man, because I'm not doing anything for them anymore. You know what I mean? I'm not promoting them anymore. And I said, you know, Hey, you know, can I, can I come see the show? You know? And they're like, sure. We got you down for two. Mm. That's, that's better than, I mean, it's not better than the money, but it's better than the money, (laughs) but it's better than the money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's the relationships you poured into over time and that's the fruit of that you know um and so that just it comes with the territory when you're when you're making those sacrifices when you're putting in that hard work you know that's that's on the other side of it and like you said unfortunately it's too easy for people to see the end result and think oh that's that's awesome that's amazing i, I want that and then you go yeah but this is what it took to get there and then they're like nah you know what that's a yeah, pass i'm <laughs> not really interested in that you know um yeah I, i'm curious to ask you this question about interviewing um, when you're, when you're interviewing that many people, right. I'm sure that you get into a rhythm and there are certain things that you know how to field. Was there a time at which I'm sure that there had to be with all the, the interviews you've done. Was there a, a time when you had someone who you're like, Ooh, this is just, this is bad. This is not going well, <laughs> you know? And like, what do you, what did you do about that? And like, how did you navigate that successfully? I've got two good stories on that one, because it's cool that you asked that Mike, because most people want to know who was your favorite. You know, they'll say, well, who's right. your favorite person? Yeah. It's I, that's a hard one because there were so many, but you say, who was the worst? I'm like, Oh, I know what those are. Man. <laughs> hey, I know a cliffhanger, but sorry. We're going to continue part two on the next episode of Creative Chats. Be sure to tune in to find out Jeb's answer to that question. 
Thanks for listening today. I'd appreciate it if you would subscribe, leave a rating and a review. It really helps this podcast be seen and heard by others.